Welcome to the Founder Friday podcast series from Canopy, where we interview inspiring entrepreneurs and innovators about their experiences and seek to find out what makes them tick. This series was recorded live as a webinar and then converted into a podcast so we can all enjoy it away from our screens. All right, let's dive into this episode. Hey, everybody. Thanks very much for joining us today. Um, we're split across the world in a great remote working kind of moment today. And I'm very pleased to have Awana here from Boston, my second favorite city of the entire world and where I got married. So very happy to always meet people from Boston. And um, thank you for being here, Awana. Thank you for inviting and, me. And obviously on the panel, we've got Tiana today and we'll bring in other people from the audience as we go. So just to start then, Tiana, do you want to introduce yourself? Good morning, everybody. So yes, I'm Tiana. Nice to be here today. Uh, my background in software engineering and in recent years I've been focusing on product management for tech startups. So everything product related, problem, solution, validation of the idea, the implementation, uh, growth, etc. So I'm really looking forward to hearing one interesting founder story about the problem being solved and the growth that's been happening. Let's hear the story from Oana. So Oana, obviously I and Canopy are raving fans of what you do because we're using it in all of our demo nights. So thank you very much for the different dimensions you're bringing to our work. So I wonder if you could start by sharing with everybody the inspiration for Introvert. What got you going on this? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for being such an advocate of our platform, Stuart. And it's definitely amazing to see your events live. I know all my team is watching them, actually. (laughs) That's great. That's a gift that you're giving to us as well. It started in a very unusual way, way, I feel like, the story of Introvert. My background is in marketing and I spent, actually, I did the transition from corporate to the startup world after seven years spent in technology, working for HP in various roles, coming here to the US as well from the UK, where initially I started my career. And I actually started a different type of startup. It was actually a food business and I knew nothing about food and I just built a model and I was really passionate about like the potential and the idea. And I realized at that point, after a few months building it, so at least I didn't spend a huge amount of time before I realized that just because an idea is good, that doesn't I mean, you should be the one who should do it. And in the whole process of building the, the startup that at some point was called Elite Lunch, I was going to a lot of the startup events and they weren't necessarily about food. It was all kinds of tech and some some other bits as well. And there were so many events happening around Boston. I kept getting invited to so many events in Silicon Valley, New York. And these were people like speakers that really I wanted to see, but I just couldn't go because I couldn't spend seven hours jumping on a plane, going there and coming back. It was so much hassle. And even around Boston, there were so many events happening at the same time. And everybody I was talking to that we can't actually get to that event or get the knowledge from that event. Although the panels are taking time out of their business, the event organizers are putting so much effort in making it happen, but we couldn't go because of like different connections. So that's when I came with the idea of let's allow organizers to live stream their events so that everybody else can benefit from their wonderful content that they already are putting out and to make it easy for them because there's so many platforms out there that are not necessarily built for this. They're more social media platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn or so, but not something that actually is catered to the organizers and that makes live streaming more like a strategic tool for them 
as well as for the entrepreneurs and founders to be able to find content easily that they're actually looking for. And um, this is how I started Introvoke. Oh, fantastic. I, obviously, you know, Canopy started life in Boston, so I can really empathize with that. Can't get to all the events in any given day or week. Some days, it's you know, seven different events. You can go to all at the same time in different parts of the city. It's just impossible. Yeah. So, Tiana, what do you think of this? What, what questions have you got to start us with? I really liked one point that Tuana mentioned. It does that even if the idea is good, doesn't mean you should be the one uh, implementing it. And I like that uh, point really much. And I think it's really useful for the founders to consider. Because very often when I work with founder founders in my consulting, I feel, of course, I'm joking when I say this, like I feel a little bit like a life coach, like trying to decide, like, is this the idea I want to proceed with, you know, with, with the person I work with? So I think it's really useful that Joanna uh, mentioned this. And it's good for the founders to think about this. Like, is this something that I feel aligned with, something that I really want to push through? So maybe, Joanna, if you can tell us more about this, uh, like starting various businesses, but how did you decide? How did you feel that this is the one you should proceed with? How did you feel this alignment, the problem you notice, the solution, and you personally and your, your values? I feel like you kind of have to follow your passion. I know it sounds like a cliche by now, follow your passion, everything will happen. But but it's true because if you don't follow your passion, then entrepreneurship is hard. And I haven't been doing this too long, probably about a year and a bit now, but it, it is really hard. And talking to other entrepreneurs have been doing it for 10 years. If you don't do something that you're good at, that you're passionate about, that you like to do in an industry that you like, then it's going to be difficult to wake up in the morning and have all those like roller coaster doubts. Is it working? Is it worth it? And all those questions. And the food business that I built initially, it was the business model was good. So I actually sold in the IPS stage, I sold the assets that I built at the beginning. But I realized that I was not passionate about the industry. I didn't really, it wasn't me who should have been doing that. And I was talking a lot about technology and I was very much involved into in that aspect, probably because of my background with HP as well. It, it was hard because it's difficult to realize as an entrepreneur that something that you've been working on for so long, it's actually not necessarily something something that is going to go forward with you. But I think it's important to realize early on and kind of have that self-assessment at all times while you're going with your entrepreneurship, because obviously the sooner you realize that is not something that works for you, also the sooner that you can do something that you're really passionate about. And Introvoke was at the back of my mind for a few months. It wasn't like I finished it completely. It was at the back of my mind. And I started talking to people before we even had a name. And when they were asking, what's your company name? I'm like, well, I shall come back to you on that because it was more kind of, is this going to work? What's in my head? Is this but the going feeling to work? was already there, yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> thank you. I really found this to be a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> what does introvert mean? It actually doesn't really mean necessarily something. What we wanted to do initially with this, we catered to pitch competitions to start with, but then we realized that the need was was bigger than just the pitch competitions. And initially, our motto was thought provoking introductions. That's kind of how we started it. And it, we had a dot com, which is always useful. And <laughs> um, so, I, I want to ask you a question in a second about um, your sort of personal network and you know what brought you to Boston specifically and kind of your, your heritage stuff but um before that i just wanted to reflect you know from a canopy perspective we've run events all over the world demo nights all over the world and what you're doing 
for us, you know, you solved a problem for yourself, but you, you also solved a problem for us, which is when we did Facebook streaming or even YouTube streaming, what we were doing was putting stuff into the bubble we already had. And yes, the recordings were there, but they were watched by the same people that already came to the demo nights or already knew the people because that's why they were at our Facebook site. And what we've got as a dimension from you, which we really appreciate, which is why I'm mentioning it, is new people looking at the stuff, new opportunities arising for the startups and a legacy of new people watching it all the time, which um, we just couldn't create ourselves before. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for the opportunities it's bringing to the startups as a result. That's why we've become Raving Fans, because it's actually working. And I think every event so far that we've used it, the audience has pretty much doubled in size as a result of the Introvoke um, attendance. So even our biggest one during Web Summit, we had sort of 220 people in the room. And I think we had something like 500 different views and unique views and stuff from the Introvoke platform. So that was very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to see how people connect with this. We've been lucky to see a good traction in the very early days. We launched in May this, uh, last year now, May 2019. And only in three months, we had content creators, as we call them, customers streaming from three different continents, US, America, um, Europe, and Africa. And it's absolutely amazing to see the differences in, in styles of events and to see people from literally all over the world tuning into these events and learning and even sometimes continuing their discussion after the event has finished on the chat because the, the subject can be so interesting. Oh, fantastic. So as you know, that you know, the goal of these interviews is really to kind of get out the wisdom from people like yourself who are going through this journey and kind of provide lifting experiences that people can build upon. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you today was, you're obviously not originally from Boston. What was the reason that took you to Boston? And then how do you find like the personal professional networks there to support you in this journey? No, I'm not from Boston. I'm actually Romanian as pure origin. And I grew up in London. I moved to the US with my previous company, HP. I was lucky enough for them to support me through the transition and they've been fantastic. And after I realized I wanted to start the entrepreneurship world, I moved to Boston because Boston felt, I did a lot of research <laughs> and uh, it was uh, Silicon Valley, New York or Boston pretty much if I wanted to build like a successful entrepreneurship community uh, here in kind of the US. So Boston felt the closest more personally because coming from London is more kind of European city and I was so pleasantly surprised honestly with the entrepreneurship community here it feels very tight so I think looking at my journey where I'm going to go next from Boston I think the most I'm going to miss the startup community it's more of a feeling of everybody kind of knows each other or uh, knows someone who you need and they're incredibly open to, to support through the whole thing. And I think for Introvoke was a really good place to launch because our customers here, our mentors are incredibly open and we've launched and learned in the process with them. So when we launched in May, it only took us about two months to build the MVP. So when we launched, we knew that we wanted to first, instead of getting like the subscription and the money in, it was kind of to build the product with our selected customers. And Boston made it happen very nicely because all our customers here were very helpful with feedback and kind of guiding us to get to the product that we feel that is worth to a global audience. Fantastic. Well, obviously, I'm a raving fan of Boston as well and the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I get what you're talking about with the vibe there. So we've got a, a new panelist just joined us. So Pedro's joining us all the way from Alfred Gidnilis and in uh, Portugal. 
school. Pedro, have you got a question you'd like to bring to Awana? What do you think was the single main factor that on the early stage of your business made you see or made you think I'm on the right pathway? Huh, that's a very good question. I feel like those triggers and those factors are changing as we go. And we've put some kind of assumptions that we're testing along the way. So first, when we launched the MVP, before we put any more engineering and marketing and so in, we had a few assumptions like let's test these and see that if we're getting the amount of traction that we were looking for. And we're constantly changing those assumptions and uh, testing more and more to, to kind of continue working. It's like paving our road as we go. But at the same time, we have some kind of clear objectives on more on the longer way, like a year from now where we would like to be. And we are always kind of getting together and assessing if in those timelines or in those moments we are where we would like to be or if we should be continuing what we're doing. So far, I was happy to see our assumptions and our objectives overly exceeded from a traction perspective. And now we are launching actually this month, we are starting the subscriptions and we're starting getting revenue in from our customers. And we have new assumptions and seeing if they're indeed like willing to pay and then going next to the next level of engineering, like the digital ticket. So we're having kind of constant objectives that we're trying to see if we're achieving and if we're not, then what would be the cause? It might not necessarily be our business idea. It could be potentially our marketing that is not done right, or it could be the engineering that maybe needs some refinement from a customer experience perspective. Okay, thanks. So, so one of my friends, he traveled from the US wearing his Google t-shirt and he said everywhere he went in the airport, he would get one of three things happen to him. Either, man, working at Google must be amazing. Do you work at Google? What's going on? Or he'd get somebody saying, Google sucks. Absolutely. Every time I type stuff in, I get the wrong request coming up. And the third one would always be a feature request. And you've come to a room where we're probably all going to have feature requests for you today, right? So as you're testing out new things, my feature request is I want people to be able to vote on stuff. I want like this sentiment thing where people along the stream can be saying, I love this startup. I love this startup. And then when we're doing demo nights that you could almost have like a voting thing between all of the demos, which is my favorite demo for today. I wanted to ask about the first time, the first time the product was used to stream an event. What were your expectations about the reactions from the event organizers and the viewers of the streaming and what uh, directions actually were? Were you there the first time? Were you in the room while other people were doing the streaming or were you? Were you remote? I was definitely here. It was, uh, it was actually the launch of our company. We launched on the 22nd of May here in Boston at the, at the Founder & Co event. And we gathered about 150 people to the event, investors, panelists. It was uh, a pitch event slash panel discussion. And I was definitely there because as part of our MVP, we didn't have the app at that point launched. We wanted to build an MVP. You know, someone said to me, if you're not ashamed with your MVP, you launched too late. And we were definitely ashamed with our MVP because the platform looked okay to work and we were we didn't have an app, so we couldn't stream with a phone. We were streaming with a camera that was plugged into the laptop. We were streaming through OPS at that point. And I was and we've done that. We did that for about three months until we actually launched the app and we went to every single event and we talked to every single content creator. We talked to everybody at the event if they're gonna be watching it. So it was a huge learning curve for us. At the beginning, it was frustrating going to so many events, but I realized that it was so key because otherwise we wouldn't have known what an event organizer has to go through and all the logistics 
behind it and also to think about live streaming and how can we make that process easier for them and that's how we came up with the app and this is how we build the app knowing exactly what they will need during the event and what they don't need as information everything worked great on the first uh, on the launch with a few mishaps at the beginning in the morning we were still kind of setting things into production from uh, from an engineering perspective but until the evening everything was ready and the expectation from the event creators was kind of met it was absolutely amazing to see them adopting this and now getting like a second nature for them with the viewers we had a few people tuned in from all over the world of course not as many at the beginning i think we had about 50 and we felt that it was such a big number at that point but it was the first time that people ever heard about introvoke so one thing that we learned is that it takes longer to get consumers and viewers engaged and on board than we thought it would. So if anyone is building like a consumer app or like a, a viewer platform or something like that, I would kind of warn that it's consumers are not easy to keep engaged and to, to get them to to try your product. So uh, it was a lot of like marketing and a lot of understanding and consumer behavior and consumer journey from our side to go through that learning curve. I have a question for you following this um, this ML. Is do you have put in place any or not any process to on a regular basis listen to your actual and potential users both on the on side of the speakers and on the on the, the people that actually are going to listen to them to whatever it's it's being broadcast to listen in terms of talk to them about their uh, experience receive feedback receive inputs receive suggestions whatever if you have a process to do that of course I mean with some of these content creators being I'm being on on a regular basis in contact with them. I ask for feedback and so as a process, we're actually just kicking off the process uh, in January now when we are when we're launching the subscription. There's two ways. One is going to be for content creators because at this point we have a number that we can kind of handle, or we know the ones that are most uh, most prominent and active users of our platform from a content creator perspective. And uh, we have a qualitative survey form that is going to go to our content creators that we're going to follow up personally with some of the key ones to understand. Their their, uh, when they're using it, their kind of uh, educational process with the platform and, and any concerns from even like a technical perspective. So we're going to be launching that in January. And from our viewers, the same from February onwards, we'll have next to where they're watching the, the videos live. It's more of a quantitative uh, type of survey where they like what they're seeing and also it's uh, everything is working well from them, for them from a platform experience perspective. So these are the two points that we are looking to start with, at least now in January, February. All right. Tell us the worst thing that's happened in the first year. <laughs> in terms of the platform itself, there were times when I must admit that I felt that we should have been a bit more further with like our engineering process, like product development. So there were times when we were expecting for actually no, the, the time that is is very much on like a very uh, beginning in front of like two hundred people, and we, we were. Uh, 
at the beginning, very early on, and we tried to get people to vote for one of the pitch competitions. And everybody in the room scanned the QR code and login didn't work. Like something so basic, login didn't work. And it was a bit frustrating because we obviously were very early on and we realized that it wasn't login not working for everybody. It was a specific time when login wasn't working. If you weren't putting www in front and if you were logging it with Facebook on an Android, no, on an on iPhone, it was that specific <laughs> when login wasn't working. And I had my engineering team with me in the room and they saw me kind of melting as I was in the, on the stage uh, talking to people and presenting the vote and getting them to vote for the pitch competition. That made me think of how much testing we need to do. So it was a learning curve in the end, but it, it did not feel good in the moment, I must say. We've put extra testing in place on different platforms, on different other situations, but that was definitely a low point for us. And it's also, I feel personally, it was a journey because the transition from corporate to startup was <laughs> more challenging than I thought it would be. So budgets were much smaller. I couldn't get the agencies that I wanted to in marketing or like getting access to the resources that I would use to in terms of like internal and external. So I think there were a lot of moments. There's no where... support line, right? When you're doing your own startup, there's no support line. Just no Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So there were like, it was personally and also platform-wise a few kind of low points through the journey, but I think it's important to, there's strength in the low points because in the moment it feels really bad, but then looking back, I'm sad to say that, but I'm happy that it actually happened because we learned early on a few things that we needed to put in place. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to ask you a question in a second about co-founders and, and how that's all working for you. But Tiana, what are you thinking at the moment? You've been quiet for a few minutes there. I was thinking about the future challenges. What do you expect as, uh, as your like, challenge in the near future? Something like a technical nature or marketing or something internal, like how you organize your structure with the co-founders and collaborators? What, what do you think in the next phase, like we are starting a new year, like let's say in this year, going to be the, the most crucial challenge or objective? Our objective challenge for this year is we're kicking off our revenue model uh, now. Uh, we've been learning from our content creators for about six months. We're refining everything and we're kicking it off in two ways. Uh, one is this month as we're launching the subscriptions and from an engineering perspective, building everything that gives value to those subscriptions from analytics dashboards that are incredibly complex so that we're going towards making Introvoke a marketing tool uh, for our customers to all the other features that we're actually building for, for subscriptions. And then uh, as we're launching a digital ticket in April, where our content creators will have the opportunity to charge for the events that they're charging in person and also charge for, for them online uh, or to build virtual passes or virtual memberships. It's going to be a big development year for us, uh, making in this platform the best there is. Also riding on the streaming trend that of course it's being driven by the movie and the music industry but I still feel that the professional space, uh, entrepreneurship business from a live streaming perspective is still not uh, even started yet so it's still a lot of to explore here but of course our friends in the other industries are helping us a lot uh, by growing the streaming trend as a whole. It's a lot about the development and 
building building a solid team that will help us get to the next level that we we already have a five-year plan but of course we want to go through the first year first so just summing up so you would say it would be the technical aspect of the business that is going to be the like the next challenge yes that's our objective to build our platform into something that uh, we, we think is going to be a great value for content creators and also viewers and we're also kicking off marketing so it's going to be an interesting an interesting transition to see now kicking up our paid social media marketing and some other uh, tactics that we have in place, how much we can grow user base wise as well. We want to grow 10x uh, for this uh, year with what we had last year, which is a pretty ambitious plan that we have, but I'm confident that we can do with the, the right people in place. Um, I have a few people in marketing that are using uh, that are uh, helping us and uh, hopefully with my background as well, we can put together like a solid campaign and initiative. And I know our content creators and you, Stuart, you're doing a fantastic job letting everybody know that you're live streaming so that people know where to see you. But we also want to bring the, um, the viewers ourselves to the platform, which will benefit all our content creators equally. Fantastic. Pedro, please go ahead. Uh, yes, I have two questions because I was in line for the second one. The first one is, being as uh, on a collaborative world, how do you see partnerships as a driver to your expansion? Yes, so it depends on what you mean by partnerships. I left it open to allow you to, to show us the way. Indeed, yes. Right now, it's we did think about partnerships, uh, and that's part of our, our plan. We're focusing right now on the technology, but... I do think there is a possibility of partnerships from collecting so many like pitches from pitch competitions and so on. It could be a level of partnerships with um, investment firms or big firms where they could actually get access to all these pitches that are happening across the world. We're already having a library of thousands of different uh, entrepreneurs pitching. So there's something that could be in place. Partnerships uh, in a sponsorship way could come from other service providers of the startup and entrepreneurship world, such as the think banks, SDB, um, Brex, or other suppliers or like HubSpot for hub startups. I'm just, um, we don't have partnerships with these companies yet. I'm uh, just like giving examples of what other companies could potentially partner with us considering the amount of entrepreneurs and startups we have on the platform. And from a technology perspective as well, uh, we are keeping our, our minds open. We are in the live streaming not in the webinar space, which are, although connected, different technologies and different platforms and different usages, we are keeping our minds open in terms of a partnership with a webinar provider down the road if we're not building the technology ourselves in the end. Fantastic. Uh, this is a, could be a, it's not a tricky question. It's, but I'm just focused on, so I truly believe that companies are results of talent and opportunities and action okay the question is just focusing on soft skills how do you think that your soft skills and mainly your team's soft skills are helping at this stage developing the, the business that's a really good question i feel like my team is so balanced and i'm lucky to know to have known these individuals for a long time uh, so i'm the ceo and founder i have a cto who's building 
building this in an absolutely amazing way. Two other engineers that worked on, on the platform in different capacities. Considering my experience, I'm, I'm more on the big business side and so easy to get into like the actual expertise rather than thinking about the soft skills that you're definitely right. We are we are kind of balancing each other out in terms of how much how outgoing we are. I like the networking bit. I like the relationship building, B2B and kind of getting to know the customers. Some of the other people in my team, they're not necessarily more introverts, but they're more comfortable with like internal teams. So it, it's great to see how they're how they're bringing a lot of value to like the team spirit and uh, getting people to, to kind of work very well with each other. And I'm keeping the relationships with the uh, kind of outside of our of our company stakeholders such as customers mentors and so on it was a learning curve with all of us understanding where we are good at who should go to the networking events who should speak to different people depending on the level of, of trust and expertise so that was a tricky question it's a, it's a very good one thank you so so tell us a little bit more about the team and how did you all find yourselves together and, and have the team who do you got as a co-founder and who how's the equity split between them if you don't mind talking about that. Yes. So right now we are, we're still in the process of establishing exactly equity. I started the company as a sole founder initially and I, I realized that obviously I, I, will, I didn't have the skills of building the live streaming technology. So I brought on board our CTO who's had this experience for a very long time. And we've been working together for probably about a month uh, until we realized that in order to meet the deadline that we've set to launch the company, we needed some more, some more people on board. So we brought some technology consultants that we out there. There were some people that we knew, but they came as a capacity of uh, more like a project-based rather than full-time in our company because they already had full-time jobs, but they were incredibly seasoned. Uh, their background at Microsoft and Intel, uh, they've been building this for over, in my team, I had over 20 years of experience uh, across the engineers and they made a, a really good team. It, I feel that the, the biggest learning in the transition in building this company up was building the team and how to keep them motivated and how do you understand who can work in a startup environment who can't because the startup environment is definitely is very challenging is late nights is early mornings is like doubt is this ever going to work so we came together with kind of a, a set objective uh, which was very helpful uh, to see even from the people that were kind of part-time and on a project base they stayed up with us until 4 a.m in the morning or nights in a row we were i think if you would cut us it would be coffee running through our veins <laughs> it was uh, it was very good to see that level of commitment from them and one of them actually stayed as a consultant on board even after the project has finished um, and still is helping us on a, on a project based until potentially we can bring him on board full time uh, once we have uh, of course the money to pay him and like the, the stability of the company to get to that point fantastic so you, you're looking to raise funds this year yes I was looking to raise a round of funds we're still cons- considering exactly when, because we decided to bootstrap until we launched the revenue models, because I feel like it's important for us to validate these assumptions and get revenue into our company. Uh, And also it's important for our investors to, it gives us an extra belief that this works well, because traction so far has been been amazing. We've been lucky to see great traction, but it's more than just traction. So we want to do that in a bootstrapping way and then to get the money when we're ready to extremely skyrocket and say, okay, this is 
definitely everything is working and we just need to like skyrocket for here from here on it, our costs are very low because because of my good team that built the technology with good solutions and they built it from scratch we don't necessarily need it and i'm okay to run you know run pretty lean for for a couple of more months until at least we launch uh, we launch the subscription and eventual ticket i mean for me i think there's a huge alignment with equity crowdfunding and that's a bit more european than it is american but i i think you know if you were raising funds through an equity crowdfunding platform and also aligning with an equity crowdfunding platform for the future it could be very interesting mm-hmm. uh, Diana, yeah. what have you got we've probably got time for a couple more questions each when you kick us towards uh, we were discussing a lot about the team so i had uh, one more question regarding the team structure how do you bridge this gap between the business and the tech because this is also something that happens very often uh, as an issue so you have the people focusing on the business growing the business like developing the idea getting the investments thinking about marketing strategies and then you have the techie part uh, of the team and focusing solely on the features and very often there is a gap between the two so how do you bridge this gap indeed i probably was lucky that my cto has an understanding of business and i have an understanding of tech so we kind of overlap uh, at some point i have a stand up with my team every evening apart from friday friday is no work evening in any circumstance uh, of course unless we have like a, an emergency with a client but as a company culture we want to keep friday free for everybody to disconnect because uh, we work so hard and in the stand ups that we have we talk about technology kind of you know the sprint planning that we're doing the features that we're building but we're also talking about the business because i think by for me it's important to understand of course leading the whole company i need to know everything that is happening in technology but i also think that it's important for everybody at any level to understand what we're doing from a business perspective because it fuels them with energy it's like all right we're getting customers or this is what they want it has to be 100% it has to be a full connection between engineering and business because otherwise the engineering team will not understand why they're building what they're building and my CTO is constantly challenging me like why are we building, building this feature why is this the trajectory that we're following um, how is this helping our customers so is the constant asking of why we're building or why we're going towards a certain kind of product development and, and from my perspective of course it's important to understand how the technology works because i need to know what i'm asking from my team and i can't ask things that are not possible things to happen in a week or and also to understand the cost of and the, the opportunity cost as well how much it would cost us to actually not do something so it has to be an overlap and, and there's again like co-founders business and engineering uh, there has to be an overlap between between the two and kind of meet each other halfway because working in silo i i just can't see that working successfully That's amazing. Really cool that you you like keep uh, the whole team uh, aligned with the uh, with the big picture and the idea because it happens very often even with within very small teams in startups of like five people in total that uh, there there this gap exists. So that's good. So we, we just had a nice question coming through the chat from Monica. Thank you very much wow. Monica for that. And um, she says uh, your platform is for startups. Do you have any success story to share where the platform connected a startup with an investor? Mm-hmm. I've been asked that so many times and I actually don't have a story when that happened purely because we didn't actually follow up as much on the people that were on the platform pitching and that's something that we definitely need to do to understand how people 
pitched on our platform, connected with, if they, if they had like a, a successful business. But I do have a story where one of the founders here in Boston, Emily from Polar Hype, who's a dear friend of mine, and she's building a, an awesome company as well. So if you want to check her out as well, she pitched at one of our early live stream events on the platform. And she was able to share this with her personal supporters, first of all, like people in her personal life who wanted to see her pitch, but also with her mentors. Uh, she was already getting funded from some of her investors. She just closed her rounds. And it was a great way. She actually emailed me separately. She, it was a great way for her to keep her mentors and investors updated with what she was doing, the fact that she was pitching the events, the fact that she was getting her idea out there to get feedback afterwards from her mentors and other advisors on how to do it better. And also she managed to kind of work on a relationship after that with a, a great brand strategist uh, that helped her refine her brand, refine her pitch and her, her presentation. And you could definitely see that because uh, she pitched again at one of our live stream events and her presentation has changed and she was absolutely amazing at pitching her company better as a result of that. Pedro, you look like you've got a question coming. What you got? Yeah, my final one, I promise. Congratulations for the amazing result in such a small amount of time. Would you share with us just one secret of your success, a tip? I feel like the tip is, I read something the other day and that really inspired me. You have to start it. It's no matter if if you're if you're having doubts, no matter if you're scared, no matter if you're if you don't think it's gonna work, if you think it's gonna work, it's important to just start it. Just do it because you will have to learn along the way rather than wait for a very long time to have something perfect. Have something that is good enough at the beginning and learn what perfect means because what you think that perfect means uh, it might not be what your customers are actually looking for that's why we launched with an MVP very early on and I must admit at the beginning I was very frustrated we weren't more far along and we weren't more developed when we just launched but I am so happy we we did launch when we launched, although it was so imperfect and logging didn't work at the very beginning. You just have to start it and learn and get a lot of feedback and be humble and, and say it's okay not to not to be perfect and not to know it all and push yourself outside of the comfort zone and ask for what perfect means for the people that you're building this platform for. That's been at least my experience. Thank you. So kind of related to Pedro's question, something I wanted to ask you is, do, do you perceive that it is more difficult for you as a female founder than it would be if you were male, particularly in Boston, which is you know regarded as quite a male-dominated city. It's a sports town. You know, it's got a lot of things going on that are very male-centric. So is it, is it more difficult or do you perceive it to be more difficult for you? Definitely a sports town. I mean, Patriots have been uh, dominating the discussions for a few years now. <laughs> but I know... Uh, statistically, and I know a lot of female founders that have experienced some great inequalities and situations that really should not happen anymore in this day and age. Personally, there's certain encounters when I'm with a CTO at events, uh, they always think that he's the CEO of the company uh, and that I work for him rather than the other way around. There's like smaller situations, but so far, the advisors, mentors, founders that I've surrounded myself with did not make me feel like that in any way, apart from I've 
obviously the very like smaller situations. So I suppose I've been lucky enough to feel that type of pressure. And I've been an advocate for women built tech as well. Uh, so I, I talk to a lot of female founders in tech that are fantastic at building it. Um, and I'm also part of the wing. The wing is only in, in London in Europe, but hopefully they're going to take some, some place, but it's a fantastic co-working space that initially started as for women, but they're doing some great efforts to kind of level the play field. And I connected with some incredible females there, not just founders. And that's another thing that I feel like as a founder, you should not surround yourself with just founders and entrepreneurs. Meet people that are strong in all areas. And that opened my eyes at the wing because I met incredible journalists or like people in medicine or, you know, in all kinds of field or fashion or creatives that are not necessarily in the tech startup world, but you learn so much from because they have completely different experiences from you and that you can leverage and kind of share. So that was one of the things. It's indeed not easy necessarily to be a female in tech, especially in certain discussions, but I feel like Boston is changing massively and that feeling doesn't exist as much as it used to be anymore. What do you think about this, Tiana? You're obviously a woman in tech as well. You know, is, is it more I difficult? I just wanted to point think? out one more amazing point just that, that Tiana mentioned uh, right now. Uh, when we talk about networking, we always talk about connecting to, as we say, like-minded people, people who are in the same field, like tech in this case, founders, startups. But we very often forget that we can learn uh, so much and gain a perspective from people who are in different fields, like, like journalists or fashion or whatever you mentioned like but in general also like small entrepreneurs developing like a bakery you know it's entrepreneurship as well uh, so I think it's, it's really amazing what Oana is saying that when we think about networking we should uh, try to connect to, to various different people and uh, regarding the, the issue of like female founders and I would say that it's getting better like I have many women that are founders I'm in touch with uh, and I would say it's getting better for sure there are challenges because it's still a minority whenever you're a minority you, you uh, get attention sometimes good sometimes bad there is a lot of pressure there is a lot of imposter syndrome cases many things like that but I would say that it's getting better and these organizations like Women in Tech and different kinds uh, of events that I also join sometimes I'm also a member of one mastermind for women entrepreneurs and uh, I think it helps because you know you just share a little bit you feel stronger together and more free to maybe uh, risk and try some things that you wouldn't normally if you would feel all alone so I think that the support network is getting uh, stronger and the situation is getting better so I'm, I'm quite positive and nice to see the example of Oana for sure. Yeah, indeed. You're, you're very right. Fantastic. All right. So you would recommend Boston as a startup ecosystem if somebody was going to do their first uh, or their second startup there? It's a good place to grow. Definitely. Yes. It's incredible. Honestly, I... The amount of, of organizations and people that are willing to help and take time out of their schedules to give you valuable feedback. I'm really lucky to have started here. It's it's hard enough. Let's not make it harder. So <laughs> And you mentioned at the start of the, the interview that you may be moving to a different city. Are you gonna change your location now? I feel like sometimes I'm I'm very mean to myself. I put myself in very uncomfortable situations at all times. Every single time I feel a bit comfortable, I'm looking for the next challenge and may it be like professionally or personally and I feel like once you move once you can it, like you can do it again I think that we are I'm in the plan of um, looking at other possibilities where could this journey takes us next and also strategically for Introvoke where what market would be very good for us to grow in the future as well 
I'm, I'm focused, obviously, on building this successfully and making sure that my team is strong and is solid. And at the end of the day, we're a technology company already being used in so many places of the world. So I travel a lot, but I do love traveling. So whatever is going to take me next. So obviously, everybody on this call will have a recommendation about where you should go. But I'm just going to chip <laughs> straight in there with Lisbon, okay? Just just so you've got I it. I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if I stole your one there, Pedro, but I, I need to place it in there at the top of your list, all right? So. But if you're choosing between Lisbon and Boston, for me, it's like there's nothing wrong with there and there's nothing wrong with there. Is everything good? You know, you're not losing out on anything. Yeah. Monica's making a vote for Prague there. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure, Monica, that you can compete with Lisbon, but uh, but I'm okay with Prague. It's a good, it's a pretty cool place, right? It's an awesome place. I'm not place. sure what it's like for startups, right? Where would you recommend, Tiana? Where, where do you think Iwana should go and grow this startup? Definitely, you should visit, uh, visit Lisbon in spring. I spent a lot of time in uh, in Lisbon, usually in spring, and I plan to do the same this year. So, and we have Canopy headquarters over there. So, I hope to see you there. Yeah, I, I love Lisbon and Portugal as a well. whole. I think it's an it's an amazing country. I, I visited it in the summer, and it was perfect. Yeah, we're we're very lucky, right? Very lucky. So, uh, my thanks at the end of this call go to Steve Snyder at Gesma for introducing us in the first place. It was very kind of him to connect us, and that's led to all sorts of serendipity that's come off of that so thank you steve if you're watching today so my last question for you is really simple you know it's kind of kind of like the top tip thing but it's if there's somebody who's a first time founder watching this call today what are you going to tell him or her as the right thing to do as their first step i mean you said you just got to start but what's the real thing you want to give them the first time is i think important that if you're still working in a corporation and you're thinking what you should do, if you should make that jump, have the idea and validate it. It doesn't have to be a demo. It doesn't have to be something tangible, but validate it with a few people and understand where the real need is and then it's a leap of faith. Yeah, you'll just have to do it. It's going to be a roller coaster. It's going to be moments when you're going to think you're on top of the world and moments when and uh, you think nothing is working and all of this is happening within like 30 seconds. So just expect that a lot of that will happen. And also be on top of your finances and on admin. I know it sounds boring, but make sure that you know how your company functions and equity and how you want to structure your company and also be realistic about your budget and how much money you have because you'll spend more than you think you will. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Tiana. Thank you, Pedro, for joining. And thank you, everybody, including Monica, for joining on the audience. Really appreciate getting the gift of wisdom and experience that you've brought to us today. I want to thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been great talking to you all. Thank you. See you, everybody. Bon fin semana. Bon fin semana. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to the Founder Friday podcast series. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. If you'd like to recommend an entrepreneur or innovator for a future edition, please go to our website, www.canopy.community, and tell us all about them. This series is made possible by the kindness of the members of Hashtag Tribe, along with support from our sponsors, Damia Recruitment, Core Angels Investment, and Ideas Spaces and Coworking. Obrigadíssimo a todos.